It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. One stimulus package down, another to go. Vice President-elect, or President-elect rather, Joe Biden calling for more aid in spending and warns of darker days ahead. Meanwhile, stocks extend slide amid lingering virus concern. We've got lots to get through, including President-elect Joe Biden's comments from earlier today, but we begin tonight digging deeper into the first round of economic stimulus. And Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says that Republicans saw the light. Mitch McConnell had blocked aid for six months, but at the very end of the year, Christmas season, he finally saw the light. (laughs) You really can't make it up, folks. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham also equally as happy. uh, And here's what he had to say about the bipartisan deal. You could have gotten this package in July. Mitch McConnell's right about that. They refused to even talk to us before the election because they thought a relief package would help President Trump. Joining us now is Laura Davison. Laura has been all over this story and just really digging into the 5,500-page bill. She is a Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter. Laura, I'm so grateful that you made time for me today during this holiday week. I want to start I have like a checklist of things that I want to go over with you. Let's first go into the jobless aid checks and PPP. Dig into the weeds for us. Unpack it beyond just the $900 billion number. Go. Yeah, well, this is certainly the biggest part um, of the package. So let's start first with checks. That's what everyone wants to know about. Yes. $600 uh, for most American adults earning up to $75,000 if you're single or twice that, $150,000 if you are married. Uh, also, another $600 for each of your children uh, if they're under the age of 17. Those will still start going out pretty quickly. Stephen Mnuchin said next week is when the first payments will start hitting bank accounts. Uh, they Last time they were able to get tens of millions of payments out, just within a couple weeks, we could see that move even faster this time. If you got a paper check last time, you'll likely get it as a paper check this time, and that could take a little bit longer. So you're looking more, you know, mid-January uh, to late January before that shows up in your mailbox. All right. PPP. And then there's PPP. And what is different? What is the size and the scope? And how do people get access to it? 
Yeah, so there's some new rules here this time. So there's uh, about $284 billion in new PPP money, including money that you can get a second PPP loan if you want one. However, there are some more rules. Your business has to be a little bit smaller, max 300,000 employees, and you also have to show uh, loss during the pandemic and that you, you were hit hard and your business suffered and that you are, need this extra money. So there's a little bit more to show there, uh, but the really, really small businesses are excited because there's a special pot of money for businesses that are in low-income communities, less than 10 employees. Um, so it should be easier. And that big rush that we saw where the money ran out and there was all this fraud, a lot of that has been addressed in this round. So hopefully it will be a lot easier and where, a calmer process for everyone. Where do people go if they want to get if they're a small business and they want to get PPP money, who's so the call? Who's the call? Already they have a relationship with a bank. That is the first place to go. But there's also a specific money in here for community lenders. Uh, that uh, if you don't, you know, have a specific bank that you already work with, there's these small community-based lenders that have some extra backing that this this uh, this bill gives them money for. Okay. And now I've got, I've been reading the headlines on the terminal, elsewhere, you're reporting, other reporting, beer, restaurants, and NASCAR win tax breaks in virus relief bill. Who got tax breaks in this 5,500-page economic gospel, so to speak? The better question is, who didn't get tax breaks? I did, but there are, you know, almost 80 different different tax breaks in there, and it's really from everything from racehorses to NASCAR racetracks, uh, you know, for uh, there's a bigger expanded deduction for uh, for business meals, for wining and dining clients. That's something that was really, really important to President Donald Trump. Uh, they got that in there. Democrats got some stuff that they wanted more uh, renewable energy uh, tax credits. Also, um, the earned income tax credit, which is that uh, kind of a big tax credit for, for lower income people, they made some changes to it. So if people lost uh, wages during the pandemic, they could get a bigger tax refund. So lots of changes across the board from, you know, low-income individuals all the way to uh, to beer brewers who got uh, their uh, their excise tax removed. You know, Miller's Coors and, and Budweiser also got some breaks in there. Laura Davison's with us, Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter. Uh, let's unpack this. You mentioned something. President Trump was pushing for this tax write-off if you go and wine and dine a, a, a business person. on. Un- Unpackage this for us. Why was he so adamant about that? Who does it affect? And um, might it be who might it benefit? Well, the funny thing here, it was actually President Trump who limited the tax break in his uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act from three years ago. Uh, so now he's, uh, you know, he's, he took away and now he's given it back a little bit. Um, so this would really benefit, you know, restaurants. However, it's not normal times right now, and people aren't doing big business dinners and taking clients out. So economists say that this will actually have a pretty limited effect. Uh, Trump wanted it because it would help restaurants, it would help hotel bars, it would help uh, the the entertainment industry. But because people aren't, you know, doing the normal sorts of uh, networking they'd be doing, the the effect is really limited, and the and the, and the tax break is only on the books for another two years. Uh, so it probably won't be the thing that that saves the restaurant industry. What happened with NASCAR? NASCAR, this is so they got uh, basically special write offs for building new uh, motorsports complexes. So, your uh, new uh, new racetracks. I am not a NASCAR fan, so my terminology here is, is rough, but uh, the, the facilities where the race is. okay. Neither happen, am I. Neither am I. New tax. <laughs> go ahead. Are you there? Laura Davidson? Did we yes, lose I'm her? Here. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, so they can so, build stadiums, but primarily these NASCAR stadiums are in the South. Uh, so, from a construction manufacturing standpoint, this would arguably help that part of the country. Yes, 
it, it certainly would. And this is a tax break that has been on the books for many, many years. Congress uh, does this thing that they like to call tax extenders, uh, which sounds really boring. But basically, this is where all the good stuff is. They have these tax breaks to say, oh, we'll just allow this for a year or two. And then a year or two passes and say, oh, we like this. We'll just do it again and again and again. So if you have a, a tax break that you want, the, uh, the best way to get it is to lobby your congressperson, make it temporary, and then it ultimately effectively becomes per- permanent. I think the extenders, see, this is where you and I are very similar. That's like I nerd out over that stuff. Laura Davidson's still with us. Laura, let me play for you what President-elect Joe Biden had to say, because he's already saying that in the first 100 days of a Biden administration, they want to be able to do more stimulus. So let me get your reaction to this. Here's President-elect Joe Biden with sound on the next round of relief. Unemployment's extended for another 10 weeks. It's going to take a lot longer than that. But Congress did its job this week, and I can and I must ask them to do it again next year. Okay, so behind the scenes, Laura Davidson, what are we hearing from Democrats and Republicans about the appetite for more stimulus? So Democrats have called this a down payment on a bigger, better, uh, more fabulous stimulus bill yet to come. And Republicans, as you can imagine, are saying absolutely no way, not going to do it. Uh, so the, the trick will be in the balance of power in the Capitol going forward. We have those January 5th runoff elections in Georgia, and it, it really matters, you know, whether Democrats are able to eke out and win and have that, you know, very, very, very slim majority, or if Republicans hang on to control and, and they, uh, Mitch McConnell, continues to run the show over there. Uh, still, no matter what happens with that 60-vote threshold in the Senate, both sides are going to have to work together, which probably means something smaller and less ambitious than more ambitious. So, you know, the you know $3 trillion HEROES Act that we saw from House Democrats early in the spring, that's probably out. But, you know, if the virus continues to spread at the rate that it has been and we see a lot more widespread lockdowns like we're seeing in California right now, for example, we could really see a need for, you know, more restaurant aid, uh, another round of checks, more unemployment. You know, these are things that, that will certainly be coming up uh, in the next couple months, depending how the pandemic plays out. Laura, help me with my prep work. What should I ask Congressman Jody Heiss in the next hour, the Republican from Georgia's 10th Congressional District who's joining us? What's the, the rank and file question that I should be asking? Oh, well, the, the, the thing that everyone wants to know is, you know, what uh, what do they think? It, in terms of this race, polls are probably not very helpful because it's just so hard to model a, uh, a, a, a special election with turnout. It would be so curious to see where he sees Democrats mobilized, where he sees Republicans mobilized. And without Trump on the ballot, how does that change the picture? All right. You heard it here first. If uh, that's what we're going to ask him. All right. Much more coming up next. Laura Davidson, congratulations on such excellent reporting all week. Truly uh, a team leader, a Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter. Uh, Her and her team have been all over this congressional uh, story and breaking it down every which way from PPP to NASCAR. You know, I I think Kev could be a fast NASCAR driver if I really if I really put my my pedal to the metal. Am I right? Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Yesterday, Adam Hodge was on with me. Of course, he's over at Aerial Investments with uh, Melody Hobson of, Air- of Aerial Investments. And Adam texted me this morning after the show uh, from last night, and he goes, you got to listen to this Johnny Cash album it's some obscure album. And I said to I said, Adam, this is genius. So all day long I've been listening to Ring of Fire. And the bootleg here it is. Traveling through nineteen sixty seven to nineteen sixty-nine. That was a time to be alive, huh? The bootleg series volume fifteen sampler. I apologize. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. And we are actually well. I take great interest, as Marufo, who runs our soundboards, knows, in all of the music that we play uh, on this show, um, as Adam knows as well. So maybe there's some Bob Dylan, I think there is, coming up later in this program, along with Congressman Jody Heiss in the next hour. Um, and who else is going to join us? I'm looking at the list now. Oh, Joe Crowley, the Joe Crowley, a former Congressman Democrat from New York, is going to join us to break down all of the latest news and where the Democrats go from here. We focused, rightfully so to some extent, about where the Republican Party goes. But where are the Democrats going to go? Every which way, with Georgia, with the House shrinking majority, and Bill McGinley, principal of the Vogel Group, he's coming up as well. But first, before we get back to politics, I do want to talk about the markets today uh, because the markets were, well, Interesting. U.S. stocks fell for a third day as optimism over a COVID-19 relief bill was tempered by the emergence of a new variant of the virus and a slew of lockdowns and travel curbs to contain it. The dollar advanced and treasuries gained. The benchmark S&P 500 fluctuated between gains and losses before closing lower with consumer services and energy the biggest sector decliners. Joining me now on the telephone to talk about all things that happened in the markets today, Michael Reagan. He's back, senior editor for Bloomberg Markets Live. Michael, what happened in the markets today? Oh, Kevin, as you uh, read, uh, you know, I think the scariest words you could say to an investor at the end of 2020 are, you know, new strain of coronavirus. And and that's what investors are And and the world, people all over the world. How, How worried should they be about this this mutation in the in the virus. I mean, obviously, yesterday we we saw a major sell off in the morning. Um, the market recovered a lot of it, but I think there's just still a lot of lingering questions about this new strain. And when you look at the benchmark indexes and the sectors inside of the stock market, 
it really looks like the type of trade where people are worried about the virus. It's front and center in people's minds once again. And that's why you have the big tech companies outperforming the sort of beneficiaries of the, of the stay-at-home trade, whereas, you know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average with a lot of heavy industry companies, down the most among the main uh, benchmark index. Obviously, oil's telling a similar story. Uh, all these travel res- restrictions throughout Europe and the rest of the world that are really piling up aggressively now, in part because of the worries about this new strain, sending oil down, sending energy companies down, really kind of taking the wind out of the market sales as far as hopes for uh, a speedy return to normal next year. Um, and, and maybe some thinking, Kevin, you know, and, and you would know the stimulus bill better than me, but I think maybe some thinking that, okay, that type of relief package would help us sort of bridge the, the gap between now and uh, when the vaccine sort of hits critical mass in the community uh, of the country. But if we're all of a sudden worried uh, even uh, more about uh, this, this new strain of the virus, it, it makes you wonder, well, maybe that's not enough to really keep these, these risky markets uh, feeling uh, happy enough to sort of embrace risk going into the new year. This strain, do you think the markets are, are overreacting? I mean, all of the science is, is pointing uh, towards it perhaps being a little bit more contagious, but that the vaccine uh, should be able to, to hold it off? I, you know, I, so overreacting, I think the early knee-jerk reaction, the Sunday night futures trade and the early morning uh, action was arguably an overreaction. I mean, a really major sell-off. And, and the market did kind of recover a lot of that. You know, looking at the S&P down 0.2%, not a huge sort of risk-off moment. It is a holiday week. We have volumes pretty significantly below average S&P stocks uh, volume, about 19% uh, below the average over the previous 30 days. So thin sort of illiquid markets like that can kind of be prone to being jerked in in either direction. Um, I think the problem with this virus is we've, you know, been conditioned to wake up one morning and and read scientists say this about the virus, and then a couple days later, well, they're reversing what they said originally, and now they're saying this. So... I, you know, this new strain, I think, opens up a lot of questions that um, I agree. Everything I've read that um, the science community doesn't seem to be as alarmed as maybe the, the headlines suggest uh, that, that this new strain should be alarming. Um, but it's just, just another curveball from this virus as we close out the year that I think, in addition to the fact that, you know, the stimulus was passed, um, that old axiom on Wall Street, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. I mean, it, it gets trotted out a lot. Because buy it, the it, rumor, sell know, the news. I never heard that. See, this is how you know I'm a Washingtonian. It's, well, <laughs> a Delco Washingtonian, dare I say. Gosh, I got to I gotta make sure I can go back when all this is over. Show my face. Um, what was it? I just, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, buy the, buy the rumor, sell the news. Wow, I just learned something new. What's going on with the transportation stocks, uh, the airlines and whatnot in particular? Yeah, you know, obviously the, this refocus on the virus is, um, is a big concern, you know. So we are seeing in the Dow Jones Transportation Index a little bit of weakness. I think, you know, the airlines stand, uh, from all the reporting I've read, stands that, you know, the sort of, some of the main beneficiaries of this relief package. So that might be cushioning the blow a little bit before you look at American Airlines down almost 4%, Delta, JetBlue down almost 3 I mean, they're all pretty much down across the board. Um, and those, those travel restrictions piling up around the world certainly are going to 
to bite that sector until there's some sort of clarity on, on when all that begins to reopen. Okay, the reason I bring this up is because I'm going to actually be interviewing in the next hour uh, a senior advisor for TSA. Uh, Andy Post is going to join me at the at the back half of the next hour uh, because it looks like so many people are, are still traveling despite all the warnings, despite all of what the CDC officials are saying. They're doing it in their own socially distant, healthy way. Uh, but it, it's been remarkable to see how maybe the investors are uh, looking at, at, at pandemic-friendly stocks, uh, but but maybe ignoring the people who are still doing things despite the, the socially distant guidelines. Does that make sense, What the point I'm trying to make? Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, Kevin, I think um, obviously air traffic has yet to come anywhere near yeah. recovering to sort of back to the pre-virus levels. Um, incremental improvement in that is going to be something that investors are going to cheer. Um, I think this sort of, and, and, you know, goes back to the idea that, okay, uh, the, the actual risk of this new strain of the virus is one thing. Uh, the bigger risk potentially to the economy and the markets is how governments react to it. And they kind of, uh, across Europe especially, have, have reacted in a shut things down, ask questions later, sort of, you know, we'll figure this out as we go along, but as a you know, abundance of caution, let's shut things down. So that is a lot of what the market's reacting to now. I, I agree with you that maybe... Um, you know, we don't know enough about this new strain to really, uh, you know, decide a, something to panic over on a, on a large scale. But certainly the countermeasures being taken um, are enough to, to spook investors, uh, at least for the time being. You know, the, the other thing about the virus is the, the science has advanced so much that they, they can, you know, map this the genetic sequence of this thing so quickly and basically you know, look at how fast they, they develop these vaccines. I think we'll be able to learn a lot about this new strain of the virus in a very short time um, and we'll sort of confirm uh, yeah. through the scientists okay. whether it's a, a major risk or just what viruses mutate all the time. Why is everyone getting so worried about this? But in that interim period, this abundance of caution, I think, is what people are focusing on right Michael now. Michael Reagan, wish I had more time. Senior Editor for Bloomberg Markets. Happy holidays, my friend. And thank you so much for all that important analysis. More next. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. One stimulus down, another to go. President-elect Joe Biden says, yes, we're going to get a full dispatch from what's happening in Georgia. Congressman Jody Heiss, Republican representing Georgia's 10th Congressional District, joins us. And are you flying this holiday weekend or this holiday week? The senior advisor for TSA, Andy Post, is going to check in with us about what TSA is doing at the airports. You don't want to miss that. Plus an all-star panel, Joe Crowley, Bill McGinley, lots to get through. We begin tonight examining what's in that 5,500-page bill of economic stimulus. And Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer was optimistic. Mitch McConnell had blocked aid for six months, but at the very end of the year, Christmas season, he finally saw the light. 
you really almost can't make it up, folks. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham also gave us some sound on the breakthrough in bipartisanship. You could have gotten this package in July. Mitch McConnell's right about that. They refused to even talk to us before the election because they thought a relief package would help President Trump. The political finger pointing and back and forth continues, but President-elect Joe Biden says this is just the first round and a down payment. He wants more stimulus in his first 100 days. Unemployment's extended for another 10 weeks. It's going to take a lot longer than that. But Congress did its job this week, and I can and I must ask them to do it again next year. And Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar spoke at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland earlier today, uh, as well as uh, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. But it was fascinating to get him to speak about the timetable, Secretary of Health Azar, in terms of getting this vaccine to the American people. Take a listen to what he said. We've all said it is nothing short of miraculous to have a safe and effective vaccine within one year of a novel virus becoming known to the world. Bill McGinley's with me. He is the principal at the Vogel Group, former White House Cabinet Secretary and former Deputy Counsel at the Republican National Committee, as is Joe Crowley, former New York Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair. I mean, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Uh, it, it is a bit optimistic, even as the and Wall Street was a bit perplexed, uh, Bill, about the mutated uh, second strain. Uh, but at the end of the day, you've got stimulus and another round. Do you think your Republican friends and colleagues are going to be able to get on board with another round of stimulus, or is this as good as it gets? I think they're going to have to follow the data. I think we're going to have to see how uh, the recent uh, the package that was passed yesterday, uh, the impact that it has um, on the economy. Um, contained within that uh, legislation are a whole bunch of new expenses that small business owners can use uh, to pay those expenses and get some loan forgiveness. Um, there are there's the what's called the PPP second draw, uh, which is an opportunity for some of the business owners who went through the first round uh, to get a second round, um, plus extending out the deadlines on some of the the, the applications for forgiveness uh, for some of these rounds. So we're going to have to see how this goes. I think the new strain in London um, obviously is concerning, and European uh, countries are taking some uh, some pretty uh, significant steps to try and curb that virus from making it within their borders. Um, we'll see the CDC and everybody else continue to monitor that issue uh, over in London to see if it actually makes it over to the states. But I think there is some sign of optimism here that they were able to get this deal done. Um, I agree with Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell that this is the package that could have been done this summer um, as opposed to right now. Uh, but at least it got done. And so let's try and get some aid to these small businesses so we have an economy to return to once we get the vaccine out to everybody. Joe Crowley, digging deeper into this 5,500-page bill, I'm reading from Laura Davidson's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, tucked in among the more 5,000 pages of legislative text, Congress's bill providing COVID-19 relief and 2021 government funding includes dozens of tax breaks for beneficiaries ranging from downtown restaurants and the film industry to motorsports racetracks. You know this Joe, they're called the Extenders. And no, it's not the new action flick movie that's going to be appearing on streaming services, but rather wonk talk for the tax extensions and tax breaks uh, for various industries. This is probably the one year where people actually are in dire need of them, Joe Crowley. Well, there's no question. I think they had a number of tools at their disposal to kind of help um, small businesses, small and big alike. Uh, but I do think, I agree with Bill, I think what's going to really dictate 
uh, what additional response either the Republicans will have or, you know, Congress and, and the president-elect um, writ large uh, is going to be dictated to by what uh, happens with this virus. We're, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, we have a ways to go. We have good news. You know, the COVID vaccines are, 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 are over time in, in terms of getting out there in Moderna as well as uh, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, Pfizer uh, product. But there's a long ways to go here, Kev, and I think uh, uh, that will dictate this. Look, you know, uh, I think Democrats wanted more. Uh, I, I don't buy this notion that they held off for the election. I don't think Pelosi is like that. Uh, she'd find that morally re- repulsive. Um, so I think um, if the American people are suffering, the Congress finally got something done, more needs to be done. Okay, but is there is there an appetite for more to be done amongst Republicans? Because that, for me, Bill, is the biggest question that I have. Because I, I got to be candid here. When I'm talking to sources up on Capitol Hill that are, are on the Republican side, they're staring down a $27 trillion debt. And they're saying to themselves, and increasingly more publicly, when are we going to take on that? And obviously, everyone knows that the pandemic uh, really threw a wrench in in the world. But at some point, people like Senator Ted Cruz, uh, Marco Rubio's, uh, people who are looking at their own 2024 calculations uh, are going to have to make a, a decision of whether or not this type of stimulus is is going to be not just politically worth it, but economically viable, Bill. And I think that's where the data is going to come in. I think a lot of Republicans are willing to help out the small businesses that are the engine of the American co- economy. Um, We've seen recently some of the social media posts from some of the small businesses across the country that are being ordered to shut down by their state and local governments, um, while other businesses um, that are not in their lane um, are permitted to open up the same types of services with somebody else. Uh, There's that lady out in Sherman Oaks who who runs the Pineapple Bar and Grill um, who just put up an infuriating uh, video about what was happening in, in just the parking lot, one parking lot. And I think Republicans are willing to look at the data, and if we can make sure that we have an economy to come back to and do the types of targeted relief, relief that's going to enable these small businesses uh, to keep these employees on their payroll while the vaccine is being distributed, and hopefully we can put this virus behind us, um, I do think that that's a conversation they're going to be willing to have. Um, for people who are looking for bailouts um, from states and and, and counties and, and, and municipalities um, that really put themselves into financial straits pre-pandemic um, and are trying to get a bailout on this, I think you're going to get a less friendly uh, reception from the Republicans because they're going to take the position that some of the reforms need to be made at the state and local level in order to get those fiscal houses in order uh, before you can even begin to talk about any sort of federal aid to those jurisdictions. So Joe, I think it's data specific, but it needs to be driven by the data. No, I, I yeah, exa- precisely. And wouldn't we all be better off for it if that data was really driving uh, so much of this? But Joe, you know, level with me, Joe. Just between us, just between us, Joe. Okay, I, I mean, Speaker Pelosi was pushing for like three to four trillion dollars. She only got nine hundred billion. Uh, you know, how does she navigate this? I mean, Leader McConnell just got elected to six more years in office. The occupant of the speakership. Uh, typically, you know, it's it's you know, it's 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 I don't know. I mean, level with me, Joe. Where where does play the long game? Not beyond President-elect Biden's first 100 days in office. Well, I think you also have to look at what's going to happen on January 5th in Georgia. Yeah. I think that's also in play. But uh, putting that aside for a moment, you're going to have a president in place on January 20th, a new person in the bully pulpit. Right now, it's absent. The president's not acting presidential if he ever did, but it's certainly not happening now. 
and um, you know, threatening to veto the NDAA uh, and really being acting more and more childlike. But uh, you're going to have a new person the bully public come the 20th, and I think that's going to matter as well. What the American people are going to be hearing, uh, and, and the leadership that, uh, that Joe Biden is going to demonstrate, I believe. So I look. There are a lot of shortcomings, but there are also a lot of good things in this. The extension of unemployment until middle of March. Um, you know, the help to small businesses, uh, to help uh, expand broadband. Um, you know, the, the, there are a lot of you know, the moratorium on. Hey, do you uh, hear that, Joe eviction. Crawley? Do you hear that, Joe? It's Christmas, baby. It's Christmas, baby. This is for you. This is for Joe Crowley. This is this is what I grew up with, the Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Joe, I I picked this for you. Much more coming up next. Joe Crowley and Bill McGinley. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Bruce Springsteen and Kevin Surly on Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You better not bow, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Back with Bill McGinley and Joe Crowley. Joe, we got it. So can we just talk Bruce for like a couple of minutes before we get back into the policy wonks yeah. of, of Washington? Yeah. Tell me your memory of that song. Every every Bruce Springsteen fan knows has a memory of that song. Yeah, I first heard it um, on uh, Thanksgiving 1980 at Madison Square Garden live. First time I heard it what? live. What? I've never and heard it live. He tells, he tells a great, you know, he's always open up with a great story about, you know, uh, getting that guitar and, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, just magical moments. I think one of the things about Springsteen is concerts. You know, it was a discussion. As much as him playing his music, he was actually talking to the audience quite a bit as well in those four-hour concerts. So that was probably before you were born, Kevin, so uh, well, 1980. You know? you know, I'm getting older, Bill McGinley. I'm in my 30s now, <laughs> if I do say so. I've got uh, – don't make me start, Christine Barada. I could – our executive producer is like, don't go for that story where Craig said you had a gray hair. Please don't say it, Kev. Please don't say it. So we're going to move on, Bill. But I will say that that is the beast. <laughs> she just put in the chat exactly. Keep it moving. Uh, <laughs> uh, the B-side, that Santa Claus is coming to town, is the B-side on one of my favorite of all-time Bruce songs, which is called My Hometown. Uh, and so he released this as a B-side. Back. Oh, just so, just so good. Uh, okay, and, and uh, Bill, I, I want to move this forward into, we were talking about the stimulus, uh, I want to move this forward into uh, 
just a little bit more about what we heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci. And uh, one of our producers on Sound On was able to get Dr. Fauci to speak today to my colleague, David Weston. But we, we were unable to get that sound, but we do have sound on from Dr. Fauci speaking earlier today uh, just because uh, he was vaccinated. And he was on Good Morning America uh, just before getting vaccinated earlier today. And he was asked about all of this anxiety that people have about this new variant. I want to play for you what Dr. Anthony Fauci told Good Morning America. Here he is. Please do what I suggested for Thanksgiving. We don't want to cancel Christmas, but you have to tone down plans, try to minimize travel and try to avoid large congregations of people indoors. You know, the dinners that have 20, 25 people. Uh Fauci's on Bloomberg tomorrow. I apologize. But he was on Good Morning America (laughs) earlier today. Uh, You know, Bill, I hear that. And uh, there there is so many different people right now who are sick and tired of having to stay indoors. They're sick and tired of Washington, D.C. There's Mayor Bowser is shutting down the restaurants again for three more weeks, you know, starting tomorrow. But we're almost there, right? I mean, speak to what you're hearing amongst Republicans about how it is important to, to really follow these rules, be smart, be focused, be diligent, get through this thing on the other side with just a few more months. Look, what we're hearing on the Republican side is a lot of people are focused on the data that, for example, is coming out of New York uh, that talks about where and how the virus is actually spreading and that small businesses and restaurants account for less than 2% um, of all the infections. Um, that when you tell these small business owners, including the restaurants, that at their own expense are setting up these outdoor dining areas uh, so that they can go ahead and continue operations and keep their employees um, employed. Um, by the way, uh, some of the employees who are the most vulnerable in society that live paycheck to paycheck um, that are supporting families. And then you read the stories about these elected officials um, just not complying with their own rules and going and dining in store at some of these incredibly expensive restaurants and doing other things. Um, I think that the, the, Dr. Burks just got caught up in this as well, uh, a member of the president's task force. And so I think on a bipartisan, nonpartisan basis, a lot of these elected officials that are handing down these edicts that are telling us we, we have to stop uh, traveling, that we have to reduce the size of the indoor gatherings, um, that we have to limit our Christmas activities and then get caught doing exactly what they told us not to do. I think it goes to the credibility, and it's why people are looking at some of these orders uh, very skeptically um, and trying to weigh whether or not they should go ahead and, and, and continue with some of their plans. I personally, as a person who's at risk, think that people should um, heed their warnings and people should medi- uh, you know, assess their own risk yeah. um, before they make these plans. And mm-hmm. so, but these the elected officials who violate their own rules are not doing themselves any favor or the people that they govern. All right, we got to keep this part quick because uh, I want to make sure I get to both of you. We've, we're going to do our my favorite part of the program, which we're now calling What's Next? Sound on What's Next. Tell me something that you're going to be keeping your eye on, Joe Crowley, uh, on what's coming up next in the next week or two. Well, who's going to be Secretary of Commerce? Uh, will there be a Republican? Will there be a Republican in the in the White House in the cabinet? All right, who do you think it's going to be? It's a good question, but I I, I do think you know it, you know President like Biden had said he wants to heal the wounds, and I I think a lot of people interpret it that there'll be more bipartisanship in terms of the government. So we'll see. Uh, there's a number of people out there. It could be. Uh, um, you know, a former governor cases. You could be, uh, you know, there are a few folks out there that I think you could tap. But, uh, um, you know, from a, from a person like myself who likes bipartisanship, I think that would be an interesting 
um, uh, development that happens. You know, I think it would set an interesting precedent, too. I think so oftentimes we hear about a bipartisan cabinet. It would be definitely uh, interesting to see if he does ultimately pick uh, a Republican. Um, we'll, we'll be keeping a close tabs on that. I What I hear, Joe, is, and I said this yesterday, but I'll, I'll say it again today. I was having some conversations earlier this week. I think it would be, if it is a non-Democrat, I think it would be a non-Democrat. I don't think it would be someone with a, a history of Republican circles. I think uh, someone who's more apolitical from the business community and not necessarily big business, I think that would have a, a an easier path toward getting confirmation. And we might have to wait to see what happens in Georgia uh, to see where the math uh, lies. Bill McGinley, what's what's next? Well, you know me, I love the kitchen table issues, and that's going to be education for the kids. Um, as we head into the holidays, the holiday breaks for a lot of the uh, schools, um, the tension between the teachers, administration, parents and students about whether they're going to be able to return to school, either in a hybrid or or uh, in-person model. Um, but also early admissions uh, for colleges are starting to hit the ho homes now. Um, and so one of the things that's going to come to the fore, I think, next year is going to be the high cost of, of college for a lot of these families. Um, and whether they're getting the bang for the buck, especially if these kids are going to be doing it virtually. Fascinating. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a conversation many, many families are having uh, all across the United States. Here's what's next for me. President-elect Joe Biden uh, speaking about uh, the uh, Trump administration's approach to cybersecurity. He has gone after the president for a quote-unquote lack of cybersecurity response, signaling politics aside, there could be a response coming up in the first 100 days. Thank you to Joe. Thank you to Bill. Uh, we head on down to Georgia coming up next with Congressman Jody Heiss. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Really, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You know, folks, earlier this morning, I was speaking with my colleague mentor here at Bloomberg, Tom Keen, on Bloomberg Surveillance. And, and we were going back and forth a little bit off air, uh, just about uh, the fodder inside of the nation's capital, the Beltway Press, you know, the, the Hill Rags and whatnot, and, and what everyone's focused on. And and so much speculation right now on the left, on the right, about the palace intrigue, right? That's how we, and when I was a cub reporter, that's how they would describe it. The palace intrigue stories, you know, the anonymous sources. And I said, it's, you know, I, let's cut to the chase. Let's go right to the source. So we've got Congressman Jody Heiss on the line. We're grateful to have him here. We're not going to get into, you know, we're going to keep it to, to facts and policy. He's a Republican representing Georgia's 10th Congressional District. Congressman, i got a bunch of questions for you on the runoff, but I want to start with what was the mood like in the room when you were at the White House, as you were yesterday, meeting with President Trump? Because there's been so much off the record on background reports about the president's moods and private meetings. You were there. You saw it firsthand. Give us the facts about where the president's focus is at right now. You were there in the room, Congressman. Yeah, we were there with the president for, uh, you know, close to three hours. In fact, saw the president, the vice president, and, and others. And listen, the president's an amazing individual. He always maintains a, 
a great sense of humor. At the same time, he's a very focused individual. And the purpose of our meeting was to talk specifically about, uh, for me, what happened in Georgia and the elections and the issues that are uh, coming forth from there. And so, you know, the, the, the discussion was pretty well focused on the election of uh, November 3rd. And where do we go from here? And I can tell you he has a lot of fight in his belly, uh, and and we do too. I mean, we were uh, joining with him to say this battle's not over, and we're going to continue it as far as we can. And um, But his spirits were high, and he's, uh, he's just a remarkable individual. Congressman, does he believe that Joe Biden will be president January 21st? He did not say that one way or the other. That was not the uh, topic of the discussion, so I couldn't answer uh, for him. Uh, you know, I think everyone recognizes that there's an uphill battle hill uh, before us just because of the uh, media reports and all this sort of thing uh, and the fact that we have so many courts that are not even looking at evidence, uh, which is baffling to me. I mean, the job of the judicial branch is to look at evidence and determine whether laws have been adhered to or not. Uh, but, you know, that is part of why January 6th is coming up. The the courts have not heard the case. We have not had a day in court. And so we are going to have a day in Congress to take the facts and the evidence to the American people. And that's what I, for one, and others intend to do. Congressman Jody Heiss is with us. He's a Republican representing Georgia's 10th Congressional District. We appreciate his time. I do want to follow up before we talk about Georgia and the fiscal stimulus on something you said regarding evidence, because I've got the transcript right in front of me of Bill Barr, who was the attorney general, uh, when he spoke with the Associated Press. Obviously, now he's going to be, I think today or tomorrow is his last day. Uh, but he said, quote, to date to the Associated Press, this is what he said, to date, we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election, end quote. That's the that's the Department of Justice. That's Bill Barr. Uh, so I guess, you know, where do you are, are you suggesting that 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 the Department of Justice doesn't have uh, it, it is misleading the public? I mean, because he's saying there's no evidence of, of voter fraud that would impact the election right there. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, Senator John Thune. So I guess, what's your response to that? Well, he's just wrong. I mean, I've seen plenty of evidence right here in Georgia. That's why we're fighting it here in Georgia. We have all sorts of irregularities. There's tons of evidence out there. It is true that courts have not, for the most part, have not been willing to look at the evidence. I think that's probably what Attorney General Barr is referring to, that there's no evidence uh, in in terms of what the courts have uh, been willing to look at, but the evidence is there uh, if the courts would be willing to. And I think that's what's really both frightening and disappointing. The reality is if we lose free and fair elections in this country, we ultimately will lose our republic. If there are serious allegations out there, the courts have every a duty to look into those allegations and determine whether we have had indeed fair and honest elections or not. And the I fact that the courts have not looked at the allegations, all right, let's just leave the word evidence alone. But the allegations are serious enough. I believe the evidence is there, but the allegations are serious enough. The courts need to look into this. But I believe that's what Barr was referring to. All right. So you've got 
this open discussion, I mean, the polls suggest that the president's base are, are very much agree with you. And and uh, where do you how do you think this political issue will play out in a Biden Congress, so to speak? I mean, do you think that the compromise that we saw with regards to stimulus this week is something that is just a one off uh, or a sign of things to come? Uh, because in, in, in interviewing you and in talking with several of your Republican colleagues, a lot of these Republicans are looking at the $27 trillion debt, and they're nervous about more government spending, Congressman. Yeah, I mean, now it's $30 trillion. I mean, with the approval of another uh, 2.3, 2.4, whatever this is, by the way, 5,600 pages that we didn't even have time to look at or read, let alone analyze uh, no debates on the floor, no amendments allowed. We're just uh, expected to come in and vote blindly on uh, over $2 trillion of taxpayer monies. That's no way to, to run a government, but that's what we have here under the leadership of Pelosi, and I think we'll probably see more of that uh, if Biden indeed is the, the president. And I, I think it, we're in for some tough times. You just cannot continue to spend like this. And look, both sides of the aisle are responsible. There's an addiction to spending in both the Republican and Democratic parties. We've seen that, but we are we are in process of bankrupting our country. We cannot continue going down this path. And uh, I hope that there will be resistance from both sides of the aisle to stop the continued pathway that we're currently on of spending money we simply do not have. Congressman, what's going to happen in Georgia? Be honest, just between us. What's going to happen in Georgia on January 5th? Uh, I, uh, you know, there, there's a couple of things. At the end of the day, just to answer your question quickly, I believe both Republican candidates are going to win. Things are trending well for them. The polls are favorable for them. You know, obviously the frightful thing, the dangerous thing, the big question mark is, are we going to see the same type of disaster in January as we saw in November in terms of the uh, wide open doors for multiple avenues of fraud to take place. That is the number one question that I get from people, and I've been out there stumping for the candidates. I've been with them. I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people. That is the number one question on people's mind. That aside, people also understand that this is the most important senatorial election ever. They are going to vote. They're getting out the vote. We're encouraging them to do so. Uh, but in the back of everyone's mind is the hope that the Secretary of State is going to step up and make some basic decisions to prevent what happened in November from happening again in January. You know, Congressman, when I was talking to Tom Keene earlier today, you know, he alluded to George Washington's farewell address. And I went back and read it this morning when I got off air. It's very short. It's a, anyone can read it. And one of the things that Washington warned against was the issue of political parties going after each other so aggressively that people lose confidence in the institutions that we hold dear in our Constitution. And I raised this question because last cycle I interviewed uh, several Democrats uh, who uh, questioned the validity of 2016. This cycle, I'm speaking to folks like you who are raising questions about the legitimacy of free and fair elections uh, in, in, in this cycle. Are you concerned? I mean, why not roll up your sleeves, sleeves and work across the aisle to, to, to create institutional change to, to address some of your concerns on the elections? But are you concerned about what this might be doing for Americans' confidence in elections? Oh, yeah, there's no question, and you're right about Washington in his farewell address. He was not in favor of any parties at all. He was fearful 
that we would end up with people being more committed to parties than they are to the best interests of our country. Uh, and he's absolutely right. Now, is it possible for there not to be parties? Probably not, because people are going to identify with certain principles and values and so forth and tend to align themselves behind those principles. But his, his fear was absolutely correct, and we're seeing the outcome of party commitment today. Uh, But, yeah, there's going to be uh, corrections made. Of course, elections are determined by state legislatures, not the federal government. And I'm confident that we're going to see some changes across states, across this nation. Okay, we have to leave it there. Congressman Jody Heiss, Republican from Georgia's 10th Congressional District. More coming up next. I'm Kevin Cerilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, wishing you and your families a very safe, happy, and healthy holiday season this year. Diving into my Bloomberg terminal, Alan Levin reports, Americans are putting aside health risks and flying in increasing numbers during the Christmas holiday season. Sunday was the third day in a row. Get this. Pay attention here. Sunday was the third day in a row in which more than a million people passed through the U.S. airport screening the first time that has occurred since the virus erupted in mid-March, according to Transportation Security Administration TSA data. Airline travel during the COVID-19 pandemic remains well below 2019 levels. However, even with the recent surge, the number of people flying on Friday through Sunday was only 42% of the equivalent three days last year. So numbers are going up, but they're still below average compared to last year. Joining me now, Andy Post, who is a senior advisor for TSA. Andy, welcome to the program, sir. How are, or tell us, how many people are flying so far this holiday season? Well, happy holidays to you, Kevin. Thank uh, you, Andy. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, we had three days and four, uh, basically, right around that one million per day mark. Yesterday, we were right below 1 million passengers that went through the TSA checkpoints all over the country. So um, folks are out there traveling. <clears throat> it sounds like a big number. Uh, it is during during the pandemic, but we're still, as Alan wrote, we're still below half of what we were at this time last year. On the highest day in 2019, the highest day ever 
uh, actually was was in 2019, and we had 2.7 million people come through in a single day, passengers. You, you know, well, wow. so. so we're not even we're still a fraction of that. You know, and you know, I always think of that famous scene from uh, Home Alone, the my all time favorite Christmas movie, Home Alone, where you know Kevin's mom is running down. You know, they're running to make the flight, and then Kev wakes up Home Alone back in the <laughs> back in that nice house in suburban Chicago, and they forget him back home. Yeah. Anyway, uh. Andy Post. Well, you won't see you won't see O'Hare uh, looking like it did in the movie. Um, <laughs> there there will be some uh, airports. It's interesting because there's some airports have seen a faster recovery than others. So some of the airports in more of the lockdown states and cities uh, like New York, <clears throat> California, they've seen a much slower rebuild in volume than some of the southern states. So Florida airports, Texas airports, uh, Arizona airports we've seen those numbers come back a lot faster since the summer than we have other places so that's been quite interesting and and so we'll kind of see how uh, how people treat the holiday season um but we want people to be to be ready if if they do decide to travel we want them to sort of be ready for that's, what they're going yeah. to encounter and that's the, where i want to take airport. this conversation all right so let's say you know my dad would always tell me you gotta you gotta plan for get lost time and and you know get there early well it, you got to plan for covid get lost time so what should people be doing if they are traveling and they are going to an airport what should they be doing uh, and what should they expect because for many people this could be the first time they're back at an airport since you know before the pandemic began and take it from me i've traveled for work during the debates it's very different nowadays than it was before the uh, pandemic so what should people andy post with tsa what should they be expecting and how should they prepare First of all, people should give themselves plenty of time, <clears throat> but don't get to the airport too early. Our wait times are averaging five minutes or less. In pre-check, it's averaging even less than that, only a minute or two on average if you have pre-check of a wait time. So you don't need to arrive necessarily too early, but you should give yourself enough time. You should plan ahead before you arrive. You should try to make as many touchless points as possible, right? So if you can check in on the app instead of at the desk, that's a good thing for everybody. If you can, uh, if, if you're not checking a bag, et cetera. Um, but COVID-19 has affected the staffing and operations at airports. So uh, in a lot of places, there's not a lot of food options. Uh, most of the carriers, you can't get food on board. So if you're taking a longer flight, I would definitely bring something to eat with you. Um, the thing to keep in mind, though, is when you come through the checkpoint, you have to remove your food from your carry-on bag for screening. And if you keep your food separate, uh, that will really uh, lessen the chance that we need to go through your whole bag. So if you're bringing through fruit or something, just place it in a separate clear plastic bag and place that bag in the bin uh, instead of leaving it in your bag. I got to be honest. You this, know, deal with that alarm when it comes to the scanner. I think I'm going to call you up every time I have to go to an airport. I was just thinking, Andy Post, senior advisor with TSA, is probably, all of his relatives are probably calling him up and, say, and saying, what's the wait time? How do I avoid the lines? What, what am I allowed to take? Can you take hand sanitizer in your carry-on? That's what I, I, I asked you earlier today. Uh, I said, I, I, this is what everybody wants to know. How much hand sanitizer can you pack in your carry-on bag, Andy Post, with TSA? Well, the good thing is you don't have to take my word for it. You can download our app. <laughs> oh, an here app we go, the, the plug. My TSA app. And uh, <laughs> 
24-7 access. Uh, also, our Instagram is fantastic. We have people on our Instagram live, real people, who will answer your questions about what I can or cannot bring. There's even a section of the app called What Can I Bring? Right, you well, can bring For Bloomberg Radio listeners, can they bring their hand sanitizer? <laughs> you can. You can. You can even bring in, uh, in expanded sizes. I think it's up to like 10 or 12 <laughs> ounces. So the bigger... The bigger hand sanitizers, if you need them and you don't have the 3.4-ounce version, uh, they are uh, they are allowed, at least for now, um, and you, you definitely can bring those through. One one thing I have to say, because we have Christmas coming up and, you know, other holiday gift-giving things, uh, yeah, we really recommend that you wait until you arrive where you're going, arrive at your destination to wrap your gifts. We do not recommend that you bring your gifts wrapped when you're bringing them through TSA, especially in checked bags, because if we have to open them, we have to open them. It could cause delay. It could cause inconvenience. We don't want anyone being upset if you did that nice nice bow and we have to undo the bow. I'm not so a rapper. Please wait. I think listeners will <laughs> not be surprised. Listeners will not be surprised to know that Kevin Cirilli, not a rapper. Not a rapper. Uh, what did I want to? Uh, <laughs> what did I want to ask you, Andy? I had another question. Oh, truthfully, I mean, what are what have you guys been doing to protect TSA workers? Because you know, uh, and to and to make sure that the lines, even though there are fewer lines, that everyone is remaining socially distant. Um, because with even a fraction, which is of still a million people passing through airports this holiday season, obviously that it it, it, it enhances the exposure of the virus. So, what steps have been taken? So we've been taking this pretty seriously all the way from back in the spring. Um, there are more, actually more TSA officers on duty so that they can open up more checkpoints and space out. That helps us limit the wait times. So um, that we're also, you're going to see every, every uh, officer of TSA is going to have a mask. Uh, they're going to be wearing gloves. A lot of them are going to be wearing face shields, especially if they're doing a pat down or something like that. We have added and accelerated the technology that we add to the checkpoints. And so some of those new, they're called CAT scanners. Uh, they're like an x-ray, but the new advanced ones make it less likely that we need to do a pat down or open a bag. And so again, reducing the touch points. Um, we're also, you're gonna see different signage. There's new acrylic barriers. So if you go to uh, the part of the checkpoint where you hand your ID to the officer, a lot of those now there's special plastic uh, shields that are up to kind of help uh, wow. contain people. So you see yeah. a lot of differences. How's uh, the puppy? One thing. You oh, gotta go. Fantastic. <laughs> What's the puppy's He's name? Fantastic. Uh, his name is Cash. And Cash? Uh, for all okay. those flying with the dog, you know, bring it, leave an extra few minutes if you're flying with your dog as well. <laughs> Andy Post from TSA, senior advisor with TSA. Thank you, Andy. Uh, for, for truly some informative uh, conversation about the people who are traveling. All right, that does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Travel safe, be safe. We'll be back tomorrow as well. Got a great lineup. Uh, and you're listening. We got Tammy Haddad's going to check in tomorrow. Uh, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like 
everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Business Week, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 